Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Big news for the week, the SEC approving 11 spot Bitcoin ETFs. What does this mean for the price of Bitcoin, the trajectory of Bitcoin ahead and the cryptocurrency market as a whole? Later on, we'll take a look at the healthcare industry. While broadly the sector underperformed last year, we've seen some stocks that seem to outperform the broader market. iShares, U.S. healthcare ETF, for example, gaining uh, close to 3% since Christmas. So where are the opportunities in this sector? And finally, we'll head to Japan for a look at Japan's Nikkei 225 reaching a three-decade high. How sustainable is this run? And should you investors be looking a little closer at the Japanese market? Arun Pai is from the investments team from Monks Hill Ventures. Good morning, Arun. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Michelle. Thanks as always for having me. So regulators approving these new Bitcoin funds. Let's take a step back and help investors understand. Uh, We've seen Bitcoin ETFs in the market, but those tracked Bitcoin futures. Why all this excitement over this new move the SEC saying yes, greenlighting 11 exchange-traded funds for spot Bitcoin. Yeah, so it's quite interesting, right? If you look at the Bitcoin ETF futures, there was actually a lot of slippage in terms of how the underlying used to trade versus the fees that investors had to had to pay out, sadly, to the issuer of that ETF. So it means you need to be really careful about this, right? Because especially in something like cryptocurrency, where the bid offer spreads can be quite large, volatility is quite high. At the end of the day, what you really want is basically exposure to the underlying asset. And when you start getting involved in futures, not to get too technical in terms of like future roles and how you have to, the ETF issuer has to rebalance the future, etc. A lot of the amount of money that you deploy into this actually just goes away in fees. Mm. So it, it's not a very good like retail product. I think at the end of the day, while I'm not a big fan or proponent of uh, cryptocurrencies, as you very well know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, though, that being said, if an investor really wants exposure to the underlying Bitcoin, yeah. prior back in the day, you had to go through a very complicated process of setting up a crypto wallet and trying to invest, etc. Now, thanks to the SEC regulation, you can actually get exposure directly to the underlying bot Bitcoin, thereby, hopefully, you know, any amount of money you deploy into this space, it'll be directly correlated to how the price action of Bitcoin is. Plenty of questions. How will it trade? How much will it cost? Uh, How much of a run-up in Bitcoin value is due to this demand that has been pulled forward? First up, can you clarify for us how a spot Bitcoin will trade relative to Bitcoin and Bitcoin futures? I mean, how well do you think the spot Bitcoin ETH ETF available is going to track Bitcoin and Bitcoin futures. Inception, it might be a little. There might be a little bit of slippage between what you can actually see in your uh, in your various apps versus what the ETF says. Mm. But given the amount of licenses that were issued, and just given how much capital is going to be deployed into this space, presumably that difference is going to collapse very quickly. And that's what we can see already in like you know equity ETFs and etc where uh, the slippage is basically nothing. So from that perspective, I think, you know, this is a fantastic product for retail. Uh, There's been a whole issuance of licenses, which means it is going to be a relatively competitive market, which is good. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was interesting to see, though, to address your first part of the question, actual underlying Bitcoin price, right? Like there was so much demand or potential future demand. The price action-wise, it actually held relatively steady. What was interesting, though, was that if you looked at uh, Ethereum, Mm -hmm. that rallied close to like, I think, 
13 to 14 percent. And that is because the market had basically like baked in into the price of Bitcoin that the ETF will uh, get approved. And now all eyes are on the next major token, which is ETH. And I believe that might happen around like May or June. And so, you know, just be very careful, right? Like uh, listeners to the show, like suddenly hear, oh, okay, Bitcoin ETF got approved. I should put in money right now. So the markets are sophisticated. (laughs) So you always have to try and think one or two steps ahead if you really want to try to monetize a news like this. Yeah. And don't forget, there's going to be this Bitcoin halving event that happens in three months as well. Um, it will be interesting to see how these, these ETFs then track that after the halving event. Um, halving the block reward, essentially, that's what it means. Um, let's take a larger look at the impact that the ETFs could have on the cryptocurrency universe. What do you think this could mean for existing cryptocurrency exchanges? You know, Are, are you going to see retailers just move to these big players that are offering the ETFs? Or do you think, I mean, is it downhill for, for these exchanges from here? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, the, the universe of investors can be categorized into multiple buckets, right? You might have, like, say, your punters who are wanting direct cryptocurrency, volatile, like price volatility exposure. And you'll have a bunch of other guys who are looking at this and, say, and thinking, okay, let's try and take the pick and shovels approach. What I mean by that is, if you look at underlying exchanges, I mean, Coinbase also went up, I think, like 6 or 7% overnight in the U.S., uh, stock market, primarily because thanks to the its very strong founder, Brian, they've become like the poster child. Mm-hmm. And, and I hate to say this in the crypto space, right? Because FTX used to be a poster child. CZ, thanks to Binance, used to be a poster child. But hopefully, a uh, third time lucky. <laughs> and uh, Coinbase is going to be the poster child. Uh, they seem to be like engaging with the SEC. They seem to be, for what it's worth, at least based on uh, from an external person's perspective, they seem to be trying to comply with as many regulations as possible. So if you are like, say, uh, BlackRock or Franklin Templeton or some of these bigger ETF issuers, you will work with these custodians, in this case Coinbase, Mm -hmm. and then provide your product on top, uh, which naturally will mean uh, a whole bunch of investors who never wanted to bother dealing with Bitcoin. Now they've been given this asset class on a silver platter thanks to spot ETF. Click a couple of buttons, you trust Vanguard, you trust Franklin Templeton, and uh, you're off to the races, basically. So from that perspective, I think uh, an interesting pick and shovels play can be the Coinbase stock. A variety of other infrastructure companies, uh, mining companies that actually, you know, mine for Bitcoin and other cryptos, they spiked up also. Because at the end of the day, there's a huge demand for this product, regardless of what the underlying price action, whichever way it might go, the miners... uh, can potentially profit from this. And so we're starting to see a little bit more, uh, you know, second order, third order effect, just given the, and it is massive news, right? There's no two ways to think about this. It is huge news. This is going to involve tens of hundreds of billions of dollars getting pumped into the space. And uh, so you need to really start thinking about where you would like to, in as based on your risk tolerance within the crypto universe, where you would like to deploy capital. And for me personally, it'll be more of the pick and shovels approach of anything rather than uh, the underlying cryptocurrency itself. Okay, what do you make of this argument that spot ETF is a great wrapper, but it's not going to change Bitcoin's underlying big problem, and that is its use case, its test as a risk asset. Because if you look at how it's performed over the last two years on a risk-adjusted basis, Bitcoin as a risk asset underperformed crude oil, gold, Nasdaq, Euro stocks. So it's been interesting because for the past couple of years, we've been able to see how crypto performs um, alongside other assets 
in a bear market with U.S. stocks. So do you think that it's debatable just how much funds are going to flow into these spot ETFs? It all really depends on whether or not these institutional investors allow for their platforms to jump in on it. I think institutions are going to go where money can be made, right? <laughs> I mean, if you look at literally uh, Franklin Templeton's official Twitter or X handle logo, mm-hmm. They're literally, and this is like a, I don't know, 100, 200, maybe even longer, like a tenured institution, right? They literally changed the logo to having like those red diamond sparkly eyes in their official logo, right? <laughs> I, I just thought it literally like 15, 20 minutes back. <laughs> so to, to the point of institutions going, I think they'll go where the money is to be made. To the point of the bigger question, right, where we wonder about the utility and everything else. Look, this is something that we've discussed on the show. I, I personally don't quite under, I think that underlying technology, like blockchain tech, does have some use cases. It could be quite interesting to see uh, the provenance of an asset if you can figure out the connectivity between the real world and bringing that in a safe manner into the digital world. And then once you get into the digital world, then you can easily trace the entire history of how the asset has been traded in a very simple manner, right? Mm-hmm. So that's on one side. But when you talk about like just this crazy like Dogecoin or other meme coins and the price going up like a gazillion percent, I, I think there was another I forget the name of this coin. It, it had to involve a dog or a cat or some kind of animal. A guy made like $16 million off of it over the last like one and a half months, deploying only like $10,000, right? Mm. Does this actually mean anything in the real world? I mean, okay, for that one guy, obviously it does. But I think from an investor perspective, there's a lot of dodginess going on uh, within this space. Yeah, yeah. Will there be a huge host of investors who think of Bitcoin as gold? or the digital gold equivalent? Yes, there are. I think it's unfair. As much of a, you know, um, not a big fan, I should say, of this space, Mm -mm. I think it's a bit unfair to look at when there's a risk-off environment, Mm -hmm. then you say, oh, oh, wait a minute, Bitcoin should have been uh, uh, like equity or something. And then when the markets are doing well and gold is not, then saying, oh, wait a minute, uh, Bitcoin should be a risk-on asset. Why is it not performing well either? It can't go both ways, right? That's like saying gold should go up regularly regardless of which environment you're in. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think investors will figure out or they'll have their own perceptions about is this funding asset wherein, you know, I'm going to get in and get out and I'm going to try and time the market and think this is purely based on uh, short term supply demand. And there'll be a whole host of people who think of this as digital gold and will just take one or two percent of their asset deployed into this Bitcoin spot ETF and uh, ride the way for the next five, ten years. Mm. One thing is clear, it's definitely helping to clarify what kind of asset Bitcoin is. <laughs> Indeed. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's switch gears, take a look at healthcare stocks, one of the most popular picks amongst analysts and fund managers when asked about sectors that will do well in 2024. Why do you think healthcare is back in focus this year after lagging last year? So there were a whole bunch of sectors that rallied tremendously during COVID time, right? We we obviously talked a lot about uh, tech stocks. We talked about this whole aspect of work from home and hence peripheral items like semiconductors and digital devices and e-commerce that can deliver stuff to your doorstep. Those are the sectors that had a huge tailwind. Naturally, people started getting a lot more concerned about their health which led to a huge run-up in the healthcare sector. Post-COVID, there was a bit of a hangover, there was a bit of a correction, and a lot of these sectors had a very poor performing since, let's say, mid-2022 all the way up to the end of last year. 
Mm-hmm. Right? We saw a big correction in the SaaS space. We saw a correction in the healthcare space, uh, which is natural. I mean, money in the short term, money will go from one quote unquote hot sector to the next. Tech and healthcare were not the flavor of the month, quarter, year, whichever way you want to take a look at it. So capital came out. At the end of the day, though, I mean, if you think about the world that we are living in right now, one of the biggest tailwinds to the sector is our aging population. Birth rates have fallen tremendously across the globe. I think an article just like 2.1 is the replacement rate for our human population. I think in Korea, an article just came out like a couple of weeks ago, the reproduction rate is at like a point eight, which literally means not even a long period of time, right? Like literally in the next like 20, 25 years, we are going to see the percentage of population, especially in Korea and in most of the developed world, unless you have very friendly immigration policies, the percentage of people above the age of 60 is going to be far, far higher than the rest of the population, which leads to all sorts of societal issues, which leads to, though, from an investor perspective, an opportunity that if you can invest in the right healthcare companies Mm -hmm. that enable the older generation to be able to be as nimble, as productive as they are 20, 30, 40 year old, there's a huge opportunity over here. And hence, you know, from the public market base, we're seeing a lot of investor interest going into there. From a very early stage uh, venture capital startup perspective, we're seeing a whole bunch of startups coming up trying to figure out health longevity, you know, various like multivitamin direct-to-customer uh, delivery app. It's, it's an amazing uh, area to be in right now, right? Like you have the tech, you have the resources, you know that there's going to be a massive percentage of population that will need to use your product or service. And you have the government that has no choice but to encourage you because no, you, even in spite of the various policies that the governments have put in place, I mean, look at Singapore, right? There are so many baby grants and yada, yada, yada. But uh, the local un, the local actual population growth is far lower than the, re, the replacement rate. And hence, you need to get foreign immigration and keep your borders relatively open to ensure that your population doesn't collapse. Great perspective. Fantastic overview. Related to that, I think, um, might be also what we're seeing in the tech world. World. So the tech industry has seen more than 240,000 jobs lost in 2023. It's a total that's 50% higher than the year before. And it's a total that's growing. I mean, we just read about Lazada uh, laying off staff here in Singapore. Uh, Amazon's live streaming site Twitch poised to cut 35% of staff, about 500 workers. Unity has announced it intends to lay off about 1,800 employees, around 25% of its workforce. In a broad perspective, Singapore says, yes, tech's been hit by layoffs, but we're still investing big in tech talent and beyond. But from an investor perspective, someone might be thinking, what do these recent layoffs suggest about, about the health of the tech industry today? Yeah, I, I would be careful, you know, drawing a direct line by looking at headlines of layoffs and thinking that the underlying business is necessarily is like is in trouble or doing poorly, right? Because look, to, to the previous question, right, you had your COVID spike, which meant there was a massive tech hiring boom. Now, in the hangover or post-COVID period, there's been two factors. One, just the natural correction of the space, which will be a certain amount of attrition. And secondly, thanks to the technology itself, thanks to the creation of what the industry has done, especially in this generative AI space, involving co-pilots, involving coming up with, you know, automatically coming up with code, you can literally be so much more productive. You do not need your, you know, 5,000 coders or multiple product managers or multiple sales people within every department, subsect, desk that's there in any company. 
be it a tech company or be it anyone else, if you use the right tool, you can just become so much more productive. And I think kudos to the tech industry that they've created this animal, which is generative AI, utilize it to the best extent possible to drive inner efficiency. And I think any company or industry that's out there that is not taking a look at this technology and literally with a very fine microscope and trying to not see where we can genuinely integrate it and utilize it to drive efficiency gain, you're going to be uh, literally, you're going to become like a dinosaur over the next uh, couple of quarters, if not years. The amount of productivity enhancement this tech can create is magnitudes of just quote unquote, like simple uh, going from pen and paper to Excel or pen and paper to software. We're talking about like an exponential increase in productivity. So I think every industry should be out there looking at this, analyzing where the tech can be used and uh, right-sizing your business, thereby setting you up for success for the future. All right. We can see who loves tech. (laughs) It's my job, but I love it, (laughs) Michelle. (laughs) I'll be honest. (laughs) Have you you been checking out the CES show over in Las Vegas? I have. I mean, this this transparent LED screen by Samsung is just ridiculous. Really? Oh, the thing I, that I, I can't project. afford it. <laughs> it's not projection. It's literally like a transparent LED screen. So you can put it up on your table. It can be like a fireplace because the LED screen has such amazing quality that it literally looks like a fireplace. And then you just click uh, switch on your remote and it becomes your television. Listen, this is a dream for me because I, I need fireplaces here in Singapore. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Maybe a bad example for the local population, <laughs> honestly, but yes. <laughs> honestly, that is my honest opinion. I love fireplaces. And so the screen is going to be next on my Christmas wishes. Okay, let's look at Japan. I am going to be looking soon at an institution that's going to be helping retailers enter the Japanese market. So I really wanted to know uh, what you think of a Japanese markets today. The Japan Nikkei 2-5 to five stock average climbed higher. We saw the rally in tech companies really helping to put Push the blue chip gauge to its highest level since the bubble economy uh, more than three decades ago in Japan. So what do you make of Japan's markets today? Talking about the population crisis, this is a country that's suffering from it. But at the end of the day, they've got some amazing technology. They've got some amazing, brilliantly smart people, uh, be it in manufacturing, be it in software. They had a huge issue post uh, the big bubble collapsing in Japan, where the stock market was basically flat for like 20, 25 years. What we're seeing right now, though, in more recent past, inflation is creeping in. Uh, the central bank is a BOJ is taking a little bit of a step back and letting the market action take over the entire interest rate curve. We are starting to see a lot more buyout funds. Take a look at what's happening in the country. I think Toshiba went private and Warren Buffett uh, called this, right? He went into uh, those trading companies, deployed a couple of billion dollars and has made a hefty return already, which attracted even more attention to the space. So overall, from a macro perspective, uh, things seem to be shaping up. I think Japan's in a much better place right now than it has ever been in the past uh, 20, 25 years. And valuations are attractive. Much healthier, yeah. I have to agree with you. All right, Arun, we thank you so much for your time. We know you're a busy man and you have to pop off. Thanks for being with us here on Money and Me. (laughs) My pleasure. Thanks as always for having me, Michelle. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.